Welcome to the Transapocalyptic Oasis show, where uh, we transcend and include the apocalypse. And um, I am here with uh, Jared Morningstar, who is the son of Lucifer Morningstar. Uh, welcome to the show, Jared. Thanks. Uh, happy to, to be here. I'm just kidding. Um, he's not related to Lucifer. I don't think. I'm adopted, so who knows? Ooh, okay. So, um, yeah. Uh, sorry it took so long for us to get together. I just I just wanted to grow this epic beard first. Um, Good call. Yeah, you like it? Very nice, very nice. Yeah, I think this could pass for like a Muslim beard. You got to shave the upper lip if you really want to uh, get the trad look going. Uh, but you could come off as a little Amish then too. So uh, you got to be a little careful. So I'm supposed to shave my mustache, huh? Yeah, at least trimmed. At least trimmed is uh, sort of the uh, uh, widely accepted sort of prophetic uh, standard uh, that has been set and passed down. But uh, it's it's uh, it's optional, uh, many would say. Recommended, but optional. So, Okay, I'll keep that in mind. So, um, no, but actually, okay, so I'm looking extra Muslim today because, um, well, you're, you're our first Muslim guest here. And, um, you know, that that's helping our diversity quota. Because so far, I think it's been mostly, you know, Protestant white males. And while you're still a white male, at least you've got some religious diversity. Um, so, but then you're also like a process philosopher, right? Or theologian. Yeah, it's a, a major sort of strand in, in my thinking nowadays certainly and uh also my my income source so i gotta gotta represent wow okay well since you can make money from it i definitely want to hear more about it for sure uh so why don't you tell us what that means process philosophy uh generally yeah uh process uh typically is this uh understood as this tradition in theology and philosophy that traces back to uh, our boy Alfred North Whitehead, uh, sort of 20th 20th century mathematician, philosopher, kind of theologian. Uh, he did not use this term himself, process philosophy, process theology, at least not in in sort of a, a major kind of standardized way. He referred right. to his own, own thought as uh, the philosophy of organism. Um, and so uh, he's really trying to get beyond a kind of mechanistic, Cartesian, Kantian mode of thinking uh, that uh, has this sort of bifurcated nature, bifurcated mind, body, these sorts of things. And he's trying to propose a new cosmology that uh, is not based on sort of a substance metaphysics, uh, but instead has sort of relation and experience as kind of the, the fundamental ontological realities that uh, exist for things uh, as small as subatomic particles, but certainly also conscious uh, human beings. So uh, he did some interesting sort of theological uh, playing around uh, in some of his later work uh, that was then picked up by by more kind of uh, uh, 
really theolo theologically oriented uh, thinkers uh, after him, Charles Hartshorn being being a major one, but uh, there's certainly many uh, in this tradition. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's sort of alive and and thriving today, uh, both in in philosophical and and theological circles, uh, contributing some some interesting perspectives that cut against uh, various philosophical and theological orthodoxies in in certain ways. So interesting. So so you're talking about um, like a experiential basis, like. Uh states the experience mm -hmm. of states mm -hmm. and that sort of being the basis of philosophy mm -hmm. yeah which, absolutely yeah which is um closer to like mystical experience and you know sort of how the mystics understand reality mm -hmm. and so um so what what drew you to that? Yeah, process. Uh, I'd say definitely. Uh, I was I was really sort of trying to go through and seriously study a number of different kind of twentieth century religious or theological uh, sort of philosophies. These these various schools of thought uh, that were really kind of grappling with some of the kind of major problems of modernity and and religion um and uh whitehead is is certainly one of those those figures um you, there's certainly a, a heideggerian sort of uh, tradition as well um i'm very influenced also by the japanese kyoto school uh who uh are, are very interesting sort of philosophers that uh, bring together uh, zen and mahayana buddhist perspectives and uh all sorts of western philosophical and, and religious material to uh, really wonderful effect um uh, there's this interesting school called the traditionalist school. Uh, you know, people like Rene Guénon, Frithjof Schuon, uh, Said Hussein Nasser, that are very Neoplatonic, uh, very much sort of looking at sort of the mystical heart of the various world religions as kind of uh, ultimately pointing to some singular truth, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I was really trying to do some serious uh, investigation into to some of these different kind of lineages and uh, process seemed to be uh, one of those uh, promising uh, options. So uh, back in, I think it was early 2021 was when I really got into to Whitehead and and started to do a, a serious study of some of his thought, which has certainly continued uh, to today and now looked into many other of the contemporary and uh, past process philosophers and, and theologians as well. Cool. So, um, so let's switch gears here a little. So you, you converted to Islam. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's a it's a slow and meandering and sometimes nebulous uh, sort of religious identity that I have for myself. But it, it is something I, I pretty proactively identify with uh, at this point, uh, though, in, in a somewhat non exclusive kind of way, uh, 
I'm, I'm somewhat of a of a pluralist, uh, but uh, keep that to myself. Depending on what kind of company I'm I'm keeping, uh, mm -hmm. so uh, but uh, yeah, there's I have some kind of a Islamic uh, framework or, or home home ground that is kind of a constant touchstone for me with with various uh, philosophies yeah. and and theologies. I see. So so what drew you to that? Yeah. Uh, so just just kind of biographically, I had a really excellent uh, world religions class. My my freshman uh, first semester at uh, at college uh, really really vibed with the the professor and well he was the Islamic studies guy at my little liberal arts school. So ended up taking a, a bunch of Islamic studies courses uh, with this professor and uh, uh, that really kind of got me a little more deeply involved in the in the tradition and uh he was uh the the person who kind of showed me this traditionalist school that I was I was mentioning uh earlier and so that was kind of the first of these major philosophies that I kind of uh really latched onto to to a certain extent um but then that kind of puts you in an interesting position as as someone with like a, a kind of cultural religious background up to that point, like raised Lutheran, but didn't have a, a sort of deep uh, attachment to Christianity or, or Lutheranism and kind of rejected that in, in teenage years for uh, the, the kind of scientific atheism that was very in vogue in the uh, like early 2010s. Um, so uh, yeah, thinking about uh, the the mystical unity of the the world's religions as as someone who isn't kind of already grounded in a tradition, kind of kind of leaves the door open to well, which which one of these lineages do I want to kind of participate in and engage in uh, a bit more more substantively? Because uh, part of this philosophy is also that. Uh, uh, kind of pushing back against this very modern idea of like being spiritual but but not religious that uh to to really have a effective sort of spiritual practice or to be really brought into these kinds of deeper realizations one needs to participate in in some kind of proven lineage that has has contact with kind of authentic uh, teachings and and ultimately some kind of divine or transcendent uh, source so uh, yeah. yeah, I was kind of kind of searching around, feeling around, exploring a number of different traditions uh, and just with some of the kind of familiarity I had built with with Islam through my studies. Uh, I kind of kept coming back to that in in some way. Uh, could talk a little bit about like some of the specific features of the tradition that I think make it particularly amenable to uh to kind of what I want from a, a religious perspective in in our contemporary times, if that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what, so, uh, I, I mean, we got, uh, well, one of the things, oh, go ahead. No, I said, what are the features, the bells and whistles that you like? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, uh, I mean, basically, uh, I think I think this is pretty, pretty widely understood about Islam, but uh, we got a very sort of monotheistic religion here. Um, 
we got the transcendent God, certainly, uh, very Abrahamic, uh, cl closer to Judaism, probably, in this sense, than than Christianity, uh, as typical Christian theology it does have this idea of the Trinity, which, of course, Christians themselves will uh, say is entirely monotheistic, and there's uh, really good and uh, nuanced arguments for that. Uh, but it's a compli complicated system. So uh, in Islam, uh, we have this idea of Tawheed, that's uh, the Arabic term, and uh, it's basically the sort of fundamental unity, uh, oneness of, of God. And that's kind of the, the starting point uh, for Islamic theology, uh, regardless of kind of what, what direction that, that takes from there. Yeah, because um, there's like 99 names for God or something exactly. like that. So exactly, yeah. God uh, manifests in different forms, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But there is ultimately one sort of unification. Yeah. 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 So one of the kind of perennial discussions, discourses in Islamic theology is, is trying to parse the uh, relationship between the divine essence, this idea of a singular unitive God, Tawheed, and then uh, a God with attributes. You know, uh, this God is uh, has specific features, these 99 names uh that uh, 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 there's certainly more than 99, uh, but this is just kind of the the buzzword, the catchy lingo right. uh, uh, that has some kind of mystical connotations. So uh, yeah, it's, it's very Neoplatonic, uh, and there's certainly Neoplatonic forms of Islamic theology, and I think often those are the forms of the theology in the tradition I find sort of more convincing. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, ultimately, I think uh, very kind of rationalistic in, in a certain sense. Uh, got one God, uh, it's it's kind of straightforward. But then also there is this kind of more uh, ready to hand uh, uh, relation between God and, and the world uh, through through this idea of the divine attributes. So uh, when you are out in nature and sort of experiencing uh, awe at some beautiful landscape, say there's there's mountains or something. Well, uh, you're sort of experiencing the the being of the mountain uh, ha having its being through this sort of divine characteristic of say uh, majesty is is kind of one of these classic ninety nine names. So uh, it uh, it gives a sense of a very very sort of theophanic world in in general. Uh, so theophanic meaning uh, sort of God manifesting. So you can you can very very easily see sort of a uh, the divine attributes uh, in sort of the the whole gamut of of human and and kind of natural experiences that uh, are available. So I think kind of. Uh, getting past that uh, that bifurcation of of nature and uh, whatever you want to call like the supernatural or, or something, uh, I feel like uh, Islamic theology is a, is a bit more amenable to that and in, in kind of a straightforward way, uh, using some of these these scriptural and traditional sources than than I than I found Christian uh, theology to be in, in general. There's there's certainly uh, effective ways that that Christians have parsed this question too, but it feels a little bit more like a like a little bit of a theological gymnastics where it comes comes very naturally in in the Islamic framework. I find. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So what what is the nature of uh, Allah? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, certainly one of the the central questions in. Uh, 
Islamic theology. I, I'd certainly uh, come right back to that uh, that uh, term Tawhid, uh, unity, uh, and uh, I'd say that's probably the starting point for for thinking about this question. Uh, but then uh, the the ninety nine names certainly throw open the door there. So uh, uh, I think the the kind of unity that uh, that one finds in uh, Islamic theological thinking is a unity that that does bring together opposites uh, in in some kind of a, a way that allows for them to to kind of coexist uh, rather than trying to sort of synthesize that tension away. Um, so uh, there's there's a classic way of categorizing the the sort of divine attributes, the divine names uh, into. Uh, names yeah. of majesty and and names of beauty. So, uh, names of beauty. You have things like uh, Rahman, uh, the compassionate, or the all compassionate, as it's sometimes translated. And in names of yeah. uh, majesty, you have things like uh, the just, like the the uh, the lawgiver, and and things like this that uh, have have some rigor to them. Have some. Uh, uh, it's kind of showing the. The sort of theological drama that kind of exists still, like uh, you're going to be you're going to be taken to account uh, uh, by this this God, um, and so uh, you have you have these two sides that are kind of coexisting, uh, but then at the same time, both of those are somewhat kind of relativized by by this notion of uh, just the sheer incomparability of of the divinity. Um, and uh, so if you think in, in very sort of classically theistic terms of kind of God as, as the ground of being or, or the fount of, of creation or things like this, um, what you're dealing with is not some uh, all-powerful creature in, in some sort of transcendent plane that is kind of uh, puppet stringing uh, the, the cosmos, but uh, kind of uh, the the sort of ineffable sort of uh, ground of of all things and uh that which uh gives being to to all of creation so you can never kind of uh just kind of crudely apply any of these qualities and say oh yeah uh, that's uh that's god um but at the same time those those qualities are considered to be sort of true uh reflections of uh a limited perspective uh so yeah, it's complicated stuff, but uh, but uh, I think that complexity is a, a feature rather than a bug. Uh, being able yeah. to to hold these these different uh, attributes together and uh, and feel them, because certainly when when we experience life, when we experience this world, we uh, experience both these sorts of uh, aspects of beauty and and majesty. And there's uh, there is real rigor and real. Uh, uh, sort of stress and, and uh, strife that uh, that comes uh, comes to the fore in our lives. So how do we how do we see those as uh, uh, emerging from the one and the same source in in some way? So yeah, I like that, and I've actually I've got a list of uh, the ninety nine names, and um, I'm just reading through some of them and noticing which ones sound particularly intriguing to me and the one looking at the one that really caught my eye is al albaari mm. the evolver yeah yeah that is interesting and there's certainly some uh some process theological connotations that uh 
that can come out of that. Uh, uh, that's, a, that's a very cool one. Not, uh, not one I've been uh, tuned into uh, before. I'll need to to look into that one a bit more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, wonderful that there's uh, all these different qualities that uh, uh, certainly the the Sufi mystics uh, will sort of uh, use these as sort of liturgical formulations. So you can uh, recite and meditate on specific names to uh, sort of encourage uh, particular spiritual insights in, uh, related to that quality of, of existence and, and God. Um, but yeah, the evolver, uh, I do like that. Uh, uh, there's this uh, sort of classical Islamic uh, theological doctrine uh, called occasionalism, uh, which actually had uh, some decent uh, impact on uh, sort of Western philosophical history and and development. And basically, uh, this is a, a doctrine of, of kind of strong omnipotence, uh, and it's a, it's a doctrine that very much goes against a sort of uh, intuitive perceptions of causation. So uh, in in this framework, you have a God that is sort of in each atomic moment of, of the cosmos, yeah. uh, recreating all things anew. Uh, and so uh, causation yeah. as that uh, is is perceived as sort of mere habit of of God. Uh, so I could, uh, I, I mean, typically, if you like stick your hand in a fire, you're getting burned. Uh, that's obviously how that works. But uh, in an occasionalist framework, there's uh, a lot of possibility for like miracle or uh, the uh, sort of uh, uh, contingency of sort of scientific law. So uh, you could maybe stick your hand in the fire and God would just decide eh, it's not going to burn this time. Uh, so, uh, it's an interesting, interesting philosophy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that kind of goes to show how these, uh, medieval Muslim theologians were, were thinking about sort of divine power as, as very much a bedrock of all, uh, created things and, uh, the, the causal developments. So yeah, it is totally God, uh, evolving the cosmos, uh, moment to, to moment. I like it. And, um, you know, my spiritual path is the diamond approach or the diamond path now. Um, are you familiar with that? O only very, very little bit. Um, so, yeah, if you want to clue me into some major features here, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. So, um there's a there's a couple things I'm interested in talking about from it, but like one of them is uh, there are these there are these various boundless dimensions, you know, these like non dual that are that are like non dual experiences of reality, uh, but these dimensions of reality that you can experience um, that that sort of roughly correlate with. Um, ultimate realizations in various spiritual traditions. And I, and uh, I know you've got some experience with like Buddhism and uh, maybe Advaita Vedanta. And so, but so, so in the diamond approach, the absolute is considered like the most fundamental ground of being. And that's the mystery, you know, um from which all manifestation comes forth and then there's this other dimension the logos 
the logos is the dimension of creative dynamism. And that is uh, that is what's sort of creating reality all the time, you know, moment to moment to moment. And so from the perspective of the logos, it's like, it might look like this thing caused this thing to do this other thing. But really, it's just like every moment is just being created and birthed anew. Mm-hmm. So that's what um, that's what some of these names reminded me of, like the creator, the maker, the evolver. Um, Alba Ari is the one who decreed things to exist out of nothing in a specific manner, create shapes from nothing that has no model or similarity. He manifests his creations in perfect harmony and in perfect proportions without any faults. So, yeah, that that to me is sort of speaking to uh, the Logos dimension. And um, which also reminds me of this, this concept in, you know, Christian theology, like Christogenesis. Uh, which is basically the the biological and cosmological genesis of creation. So it happens to be my favorite dimension. Um, it sort of correlates with my my enneagram type. Hmm. Are you familiar with the enneagram at all? Very surface level, so I I couldn't even tell you the uh, the all right good uh, I mean, meanings or the associate with the main types or anything. So <laughs> I'm glad we don't have to talk about it. Okay, so um, but then the other thing that that uh, I want to talk about in the diamond approach is. Uh, is the sorry it's you know the dogs are barking and which i also want to talk about but um the latayef like one of the first things you learn in the diamond approach are the essential aspects um which you know are correlated with the the sufi latayef And so, um, like the red, red Latayef and the yellow Latayef and the green Latayef, Latifa. And um, so I'm curious, like, what what your knowledge or experience with that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not uh, not a ton. Uh, uh, so there's there's so many different uh, kind of uh methods and and uh practices in 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 sufi lineages and there's certainly many sufi lineages uh uh throughout uh, the the muslim world uh so some of them have a bit more of kind of esoteric occultist uh types of uh practices that uh that are integrated others others might be a bit more kind of closely 
tied with uh, some of the kind of main liturgical sources uh, for the Islamic tradition. Others of them have very embodied practices. Certainly, the 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 dervishes uh, in in uh, Molana Rumi's uh, Mevlevi uh, Sufi order. But there's these Chechen uh, uh, Sufis that you, you maybe have seen some some recordings of this Hadra practice where they're all jumping around, going in a circle real fast, uh, and uh, really kind of energetically reciting uh, certain things. So yeah, I'm, I I can't say I've uh, personally encountered some of this. Uh, uh latifa uh kind of uh schema um but uh yeah it sounds sounds very much uh like uh some kind of classic uh sufi uh type of uh, uh formulation for for these spiritual uh yeah uh yeah. That's one of those. That's the what the Hadra. Hadra, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a I think a North African uh, Sufi group. Uh, I have that very colorful uh, kind of quilt like uh, garment. Uh, can't remember exactly which uh, which order uh, uses that, but uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Very very energetic, very embodied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but in, you know, in the diamond approach, it's like true nature. It's like these essential aspects are the sort of building blocks of uh, of true nature, of essential experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that experience can become patterned by these qualities, these spiritual qualities. And it's sort of seen as very fundamental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely definitely see some some strong parallels there with uh, some major kind of uh, formulations, especially within the more Neoplatonic and uh, mystical uh, theologies in uh, in the history of uh, the Islamic tradition. With uh, uh, you even have some some Sufi uh, cosmologies, metaphysics that uh, are are quite close to to the logos Christology uh, type type stuff in in certain forms of Christianity. Uh, here uh, instead you you have the the Nur Muhammadiya uh, as the the first creation, the Muhammadan light, uh, so kind of the the spiritual essence of uh, Prophet Muhammad. Uh, so this is uh, sort of the first and highest and, and most uh, perfect creation of of God. Uh, that then the whole of the rest of creation is is sort of uh, created for its sake. Uh, it's just so beautiful and uh, uh, full of splendor that uh, God needed to go ahead and, and make a whole world just as kind of a, a dedication or, or or devotion to to this uh, amazing creation. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty intensive uh, stuff uh, within the Islamic uh, discourses. Uh, you have this uh, this word kalam, uh, which uh, many sort of uh, Westerners familiar with uh, sort of Christian theology may may actually know this word. There's the famous uh, kalam theological argument uh, for the existence of God, but uh, 
here uh, in in the Arabic, kalam uh, means word. Uh, so very very similar to to kind of the connotation of of logos here. Um, and uh, you have some of the same kind of theological metaphors of uh, the word of God being being this sort of uh, creative process that existentiates uh, various things, and uh, they they uh, various created things have a a specific kalimat, a specific kind of word uh, that uh, is is their sort of uh, real essence that again connects back to these these divine names that are uh, ontologically more real than sort of uh, actual created material things uh, in this kind of classic uh, Neoplatonic uh, framework. So uh, yeah, very very uh, consonant with uh, what I'm hearing from you about the the diamond approach. Cool, man. So one thing I'm curious about is, uh, you you know, you, I mean, you, it's, you seem kind of like wishy-washy about it. And, uh, you know, it's it's a devotional path. And so, like, you, you really got to, I mean, and you were just saying, like, you really got to be devoted in order mm-hmm. to, in order to truly access uh, some of these more advanced realizations and stuff. And, uh, but it, it is, I mean, especially when you're like a child of modernity, it's really hard to, uh, to really engage some of these more traditional paths in a very devoted way. So, and Islam itself means submission, right? So you can't be partially submitted, you know? So I wonder if you say more about that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I am totally in in agreement with you. There's a a certain level of commitment or skin in the game uh, that really needs to to happen in uh, any kind of spiritual path to to really uh, open the doors to to the kind of efficacy that uh, the teachings have. Um, it's also, a, I mean, it's a dangerous and and tricky thing. As a, I mean, you gotta sort of find a, a spiritual system and a teacher, but you're coming at that from a, a allegedly a place of sort of spiritual ignorance and naivete. If you uh, already know all this stuff, why do you need a teacher? Um, so, uh, but there's also uh, lots of bad systems out there and uh, uh, sort of false false gurus and and all this stuff. Uh, so, I mean, it's not a it's not a easy sort of uh, uh, path to to undertake. Uh, there's some some real risk, uh, and uh, certainly the same the same applies within uh, within Sufi and uh, Islamic uh, frameworks. Uh, Luckily, uh, I think many of the sort of major traditional Sufi orders uh, are are very established and uh, have have really strong sorts of uh, vetting mechanisms for teachers and and practices um, that uh, help mitigate some of that uh, that danger and. Uh, Really, uh, the this this notion of divine law or Sharia that it's uh, quite the kind of hot topic in uh, in the West. Uh, the whole purpose of of that framework from the the Sufi perspective is is this sort of uh, 
like strenuous sort of ethical conduct that you need to uh, submit yourself to to provide this like safe container and this uh, like solid framework to then uh, then be be ready to venture into some of these uh, very destabilizing sorts of spiritual uh, regions of of the psyche of uh, human experience. Uh, and uh, doing that then, especially with a community, with a, uh, a legit teacher. Um, so yeah, just uh, just sort of uh, my own uh, biographical uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, where I'm at. Uh, I, I'm connected with many people involved in very uh, traditional, legit uh, Sufi orders. I have not personally taken an initiation into any of these groups uh which you kind of you you yourself need to be vetted by by the the sheikh the 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 spiritual leader of these uh these uh orders to be really invited in to to become a a disciple um so uh i certainly uh it's on the bucket list uh but i yeah i i know i'm sort of not at the spot where uh, that commitment is going to kind of come naturally uh, yet. Um, and uh, part of part of my kind of self understanding uh, that's been developing the past while is, uh, well, I, I really am doing a lot in in these sorts of uh, philosophical arenas, uh, thinking sort of religion in in our day and age um and uh doing doing some of that kind of intellectual work uh which is is somewhat distinct from from some of this spiritual uh path this kind of experiential um uh path that you you go down of of realization um though these are certainly interrelated things uh so if it if it turns out that uh my kind of mission on on this earth is is more in contributing to to the the philosophical uh, kind of uh, side of things, uh, providing sort of healthier, uh, more integrated and uh, robust perspectives on what spirituality looks like uh, in in modernity, post modernity, meta modernity. Who knows where we're at? Uh, uh, that's okay with me uh, if it, if it's uh, that uh, I'm I'm not supposed to be this uh, sort of deep mystic ascetic. That's uh, that's uh we'll, we'll see what uh, happens. I keep the door open, but uh, uh, I don't want to I don't want to get attached to that identity uh, prematurely. Certainly, uh, and uh, I need to get rid of that attachment uh, on the path anyway. <laughs> so might as well uh, preempt that to a degree. <laughs> Yeah. So, do you have, you have a relationship with Allah? I don't. I don't typically think of it in in that particular language, but but certainly, um, I I find some of that uh, can be a little evangelical uh, kind of vibes to to really talk about this this personal relationship with with God. Um, personal, but like devotional. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's, uh, I mean, certainly any kind of uh, traditional Islamic prayer practice is um, deeply devotional in, in that kind of, uh, that vein. Um, 
as well as the kind of more particular Sufi spiritual practices of reciting these names of God and these kind of Quranic formulations and in in, uh, in group uh, and certainly uh, individually as well. I see. So let's talk about Nasser. Okay, sure, sure. The traditionalist school, uh, René Guénon, kind of the first major figure. Um, and then you have a number of traditionalist authors, who uh, philosophers who come uh, following him. Uh, Frithjof Schuon is is maybe the uh, the most significant name uh, in terms of some of his uh, quote unquote disciples or successors. Um, and then uh, following Shuan is is when uh, uh, Nasser kind of hits the scene. So he's kind of this uh, third generation uh, traditionalist uh, in this in this lineage. And there's there's a direct uh, sort of teacher student relationship from Genon to to Shuan to to Nasser. Um, and uh, throughout this progression, uh, you see a development of a bit. Uh, a bit more nuanced, uh, I'll say, perspective on on the West and modernity. Um, so, uh, from with with Guénon, you have a, a very kind of black and white essentialist metaphysical kind of understanding of uh, the decadence of modernity in the West uh, versus uh, the traditionalist uh, perspective. Uh, Shuan certainly carries that forth, but uh, adds some some nuance to to some of these things and uh, uh, kind of qualifies certain of Guénon's uh, perspectives. So, uh, for example, uh, Shuan has an interesting take on the sort of development of the Protestant Reformation and uh, that there is a certain kind of a uh, real sapiential knowledge in in Protestant Christianity, uh, and I'm not sure if Guénon really uh, had that that perspective, or if he only saw the the Reformation as kind of a a, a step in this uh, decadence of of modernity. Um, but uh, I I will say even even Nasser is very very harsh on on modernity. And I, I think he would he would distinguish modernity from from the West because in in the West you have uh, Christianity and uh, there's certain forms of Christianity that he would consider entirely sort of authentic uh, and uh, even as they they themselves have uh, experienced a higher degree of decadence than certain other non-Western uh, forms of religion. Um, but yeah, he has he has a quote something like uh, uh, in pre-modern times, uh, sort of uh, society, human human civilization was essentially good with uh, sort of incidental evils, and uh, uh, in modernity, it's it's the opposite, and uh, modern modern society civilization is essentially bad or essentially evil, and but of of course because of sort of. Uh, grace and and things like this there's still a perspective that okay obviously it can't be totally bad and and some some good things still happen but it's not a necessary consequence of uh of modernity it's in spite of uh modernity that that good, those goods can yeah. exist so it's it's still a very very harsh perspective and right. he's extremely dismissive of uh philosophers like uh like hegel uh 
which I think is a little undue. Uh, I'm not a, a super familiar with the Hegelian uh, thought, but I mean, certainly contributes to modernity and uh, some of these perspectives we have. But uh, I think he's a little, little too sort of uh, ready to totally throw out uh, any kind of more recent uh, philosophical speculation. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in in these systems, Heidegger, uh, uh, Hegel, all sorts of existentialists. Uh, so, Gotcha. Yeah, so that was my impression of uh, some of the stuff I read of yours was that uh, you're not really interested in throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a little bit more context. So my Islamic studies professor that I was mentioning at the outset, he was a student of uh, Sayyid Hussein Nasser. Uh, and so uh, he's, I guess, kind of this fourth generation traditionalist. And uh, if I identify myself with this school, I'm perhaps a, a fifth uh, generation in, in this lineage. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm certainly trying to I probably follow the the Kyoto school a bit more on on this uh, topic than I do the the traditionalists where they are really drawing a lot on uh modern thought especially some of these more existentialist uh kinds of thinkers um and really taking that very seriously um and uh, trying to, to integrate that with these sort of traditional metaphysical perspectives. Uh, both Zen and Christianity are, are really what they're working with, but uh, trying to take a even more kind of pluralistic and, and cosmopolitan uh, approach here. Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, the way to to kind of formulate it, formulate it in the kind of most generic sort of sense uh, is... Uh, well, the traditionalists very much think that uh, with the, the advent of modernity, um, you have something sort of essentially negative that that's happening here. And uh, as as Nasser says, you of course there's still going to be positives here and there, um, but uh, it's you can kind of throw out uh, uh, the, these these whole slew of. Uh, thinkers um and and try and return to tradition uh as the as the memes uh tell us uh i guess i think that uh even within tradition one finds uh a development of uh metaphysical thinking um so for example i mean your your shamanic your animist uh types of uh indigenous traditions uh they're very different from, say, uh, uh, Thomistic uh, Christianity in the Middle Ages. Those are those are very different systems, and the traditionalist will maintain that uh, there's some kind of core metaphysical uh, continuity there, and that uh, both of these uh, traditions are going to have some kind of salvific or uh, Gnostic efficacy, and sort of allowing for. The realization of, of uh, sincere seekers within those contexts. Uh, but I, I see a real development there. I see a development of uh, sort of uh, the existential situation of the, the human subjects uh, within there and the, the forms of thought that uh, exist within those contexts. And so I think ultimately uh, 
what it looks like uh, to uh, sort of have this kind of sapiential uh, path within medieval Christianity versus uh, shamanism is very different. Um, and uh, I think this kind of development of, of human consciousness and our existential situation continues uh, in modernity and, and beyond. And that taking that seriously and, and thinking through how that uh, impacts the the uh, kind of spirituality that that works, I, I think is is something we need to do. Uh, and I think purely trying to recreate uh, uh, sort of traditional religion in our era is is going to be a a, a task with a lot of uh, tension and. Uh, sort of unresolved conflict. Uh, and so I think that uh, there's going to be some kind of renewed uh, traditionalism that will have to uh, integrate, say, Hegelian, Heideggerian, et cetera, these, these types of modern uh, perspectives, because they're sort of in the, the kind of human beings that we have nowadays. Uh, and uh, if you sort of actually get into that stuff, there is substance there. Um, and I don't think you can just sort of uh, cast that aside in, in any kind of crude way. And uh, even if, say, a platonic metaphysics is still entirely viable, um, uh, I think uh, uh, you really need to have this more substantive integration to uh, make that work. And so it's it's going to end up with... Uh, with, uh, I mean, reforming and, and uh, sort of transforming uh, the, the the religions that uh, that we have, but uh, I don't view that as uh, a break with the past. But that's that's always been what's happening. These traditions have constantly been in in some kind of uh, evolution throughout their their existence. So that's uh, fine by me. <laughs> yeah. Um... It seems like there's a lot of these sort of uh, postmodern right-wing bros um, who are really hungry for, you know, the traditional, uh, but they don't want to abandon the comforts of, of their, of modernity. Right. And there are no real like cultural escalators to, you know, take us from here to there. And so mm -hmm. they're just all kind of like, floundering around and um yeah they they're 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 hungry for something mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's nothing really available and you know there's some efforts to create some new religions and stuff but uh but those are kind of silly too and so <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like how does this kind of thing get created and mm. um i mean the only like truly post postmodern spiritual path i know of is the diamond approach mm -hmm. um that is like a a genuine logos it is um sort of uh you know it's 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 a complete spiritual path it's a mystical path that uh that 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 integrates that you know it's sort of there's this really in, in the inner journey home almas talks about uh he has this really what he calls an appropriate vision where it's like the west is redeemed and the ego is redeemed it's a very redemptive vision like modernity 
um, and and postmodernism as well. Th these are sort of seen as like stepping stones, um, rather than aberrations. You know, like giant historical mistakes, which mm -hmm. is how a lot yeah. of modern spiritual traditions, or or maybe even just traditional spiritual traditions, look at um, look at the ego and look at modernity. Uh, but this is a this is a much more redemptive vision, and so um, so that's it's one of the things I really appreciate about it. And um, but I don't I don't really know of of anything else out there. Mm -hmm. That's and and so it just seems like I mean I was a sort of a postmodern seeker for a while where I was like. Well, I'll study some Buddhism and then I'll go over here and like, you know, listen to this this neo Advaita guy mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and just sort of uh um a pluralistic approach. And then uh, eventually somehow I stumbled into the diamond approach where uh, it's a much more holistic spiritual path and it it emphasizes both being a a a man of the world and a man of spirit so um so what else what else is out there yeah yeah i think uh i think the landscape is pretty pretty limited as it uh as it currently exists um there's there's certainly sort of individual people or teachers or uh, uh, students that I think probably fit the bill in terms of their their own kind of thinking or approach of uh, being beyond a postmodern kind of spirituality or into a metamodern uh, kind of perspective, if we want to use that term. But uh, yeah, in terms of sort of institutional or kind of systematic uh, stuff, uh, I don't see a ton Um uh, my own intuition is that uh, this is going to be something that uh, is going to exist most fruitfully within existing frameworks, uh, albeit uh, uh, updating those. Um, yeah. So I think I think your your Sufi orders, your your sort of Zen lineages, your uh, monastic uh, Catholic kinds of uh, groups. Uh, I think they have the kinds of authentic spiritual resources that can't just be like created uh, by some kind of uh, autodidactic kind of teacher uh, and and somehow brought into the world. Um, so I guess a lot of my my work and my hope is is kind of bringing then these these uh, modern postmodern and and metamodern perspectives more holistically into these existing lineages and then seeing what work uh, a, a kind of integrated uh, vision can can do with that material and then the traditional material to to get to some uh, some much more uh, holistic kind of uh, vision here where yeah it's gonna I think uh, look at uh, modernity and and these kinds of things as uh, having having something positive uh within them even even as it sort of sees and acknowledges uh, all of these kinds of very real negativities that exist here so it's 
it, it abandons some of this kind of uh, meta narrative of progress, um, but uh, has this kind of uh, sort of a, almost like teleological thinking to it, some kind of divine wisdom uh, that uh, that is ushered in with our um, sort of uh, experience of modernity. Because I mean, there's there's oh, real man. real new ways of uh, of knowing and seeing and being that that have come with with this historical development and uh, i think there's there's something there that uh, we're kind of supposed to supposed to integrate uh that uh just wasn't uh, available uh, in in previous uh, historical epochs uh, um, but uh, certainly we need a very sophisticated philosophical perspective to to be able to effectively do that without um sort of reifying things and in kind of fatalistic ways uh, that can be very harmful. So can a postmodern or post-postmodern Islam coexist with a pre-modern Islam? Yeah, that is, that is, that's the, that's the question, huh? And that's the question with, with all of these uh, traditions. And uh, I think it'll be a bit different depending on the, uh, specific tradition in question. Some some of these traditions, kind of the the heart of it at this point is like maybe a little modern. Like I'm thinking about uh, like Unitarian Universalism. Like oh, that's a, that's a very modern or even postmodern kind of spirituality. So yeah, uh, like that might need to like integrate the traditional in a in a more substantive way to to get to 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 where it is. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, in terms of the the Islamic situation, I mean, this is this is what I. What I think kind of long and hard about uh, in in a lot of ways, like uh, how can how can we take this tradition and and bring to it these kinds of uh, more contextualist, uh, say, uh, understandings of uh, all sorts of stuff that I think is going to be necessary uh, for uh, kind of developing a, a more dynamic and, and flexible, uh, adaptable spiritual perspective for uh, where we're at without sort of sacrificing some of this um, like intuitive sense of like sacredness and uh, uh, transcendence that exists within these, these sort of traditional forms and uh, more pragmatically without alienating or, or pissing off uh, the the real traditionalists uh, in in the uh, religion so i mean uh, yeah you can sort of come and, and say uh, oh look at this uh sort of historicized understanding of the hadith literature that is gonna uh, sort of allow for a less kind of literalistic uh, approach to how this material is used for uh, especially legal uh, legal interpretation and um, sort of producing legal rulings about various topics, but just just sort of doing that, uh, well, you're going to get labeled a, a lib or a modernist like real qu real quick uh, because there's there's a lot of reactivity around uh, sort of coming in trying to reform Islam to to make it this more uh, sort of. Uh, able to to kind of function in modernity kind of thing. You have a very sort of colonialist history that tried to do that very violently uh, out of a uh, sort of uh, Eurocentric kind of uh, perspective of uh, oh this 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 is some backward shit. We got to get these these people uh, up to the 20, 20th century, nineteenth century. Uh, 
sort of sort of thing. So I mean, I, there's there's really good reasons why people are are reactive there. Uh, but uh, there's also uh, some <laughs> really really uh, pathological stuff that that comes out of uh, a certain attachment to. Um, uh, much more kind of literalist, kind of fundamentalist approach to to the tradition that uh, I think somehow we're going to need to get around. Um, and I think there, uh, certainly the, the Sufi traditions have a lot of uh, traditional material that uh, itself can sort of push back against uh, some of that stuff. So we don't need, necessarily need to need to be bringing in sort of uh, contemporary Western philosophical yeah, stuff. To, to there's a lot of suspicion about Sufism. There is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even even that, uh, which is interestingly, partially a, a legacy of uh, the colonial encounter, uh, the sort of Orientalist scholars of uh, of these colonizing European nations uh, really strongly tried to dissociate uh, Sufism from the Islamic tradition more broadly, even though um, these are very closely sort of aligned uh, phenomena historically. Sufi orders were typically very orthodox. A lot of the Sufi masters were also uh, uh, sort of jurists and trained in in sort of the legal uh, traditions of the religion and able to to give rulings. The Sufis were certainly following the legal and theological orthodoxies. Uh, so uh, yeah, a lot of this is kind of internalized uh, Orientalist uh, perspectives that uh, have uh, in interesting ways then aligned themselves with uh, what, you, what you could call more kind of fundamentalist uh, forms of the religion that developed uh, under that uh, that colonial encounter. Uh, period and remain quite uh, quite prevalent and quite strong today. Um, so I mean, it's it's, it's a very big challenge, uh, kind of uh, uh, coming to a, a more substantive integration within within the Islamic world of uh, of these mystical perspectives of modern modern thought, scientific uh, rationalistic kind of thought, uh, but then also postmodern kind of contextualist perspectival stuff. Uh, and then throwing it all together and uh, trying to get it into some kind of coherent uh, framework. Um, but uh, on the flip side, one of the the real positives of uh, the sort of Islamic situation, uh, certainly at least within the the Sunni majority, is uh, this is not a, a kind of a, a, you don't have denominations. There is still ultimately sort of a, a big tent uh, unity here. Uh, even as Sunnism includes these Sufi mystics and these uh, sort of Salafi-leaning literalists and uh, all these all these different kind of camps, they, they still go to the same mosques. They can pray together uh, and sort of uh, have have this kind of uh, unity that uh, is is not really sort of viable in in sort of a Christian. Uh, sort of context nowadays with the constantly proliferating denominations that have kind of hard hard boundaries with one another uh so this the porousness that remains within uh within the sunni islamic majority is, uh, is something that makes me kind of hopeful in in this regard uh, yeah and now that they all have access to the internet and stuff it's like we don't even know what effect that's gonna have right right you know, mm -hmm. 
like mm-hmm. it has to have a modernizing effect mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so we're only like yeah. one generation away from discovering its true impact mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so uh you have this uh this sort of faction uh called salafism uh within the islamic scene that uh uh it's it's a sort of fundamentalist literalist kind of movement uh they're trying to go back to the the pure sources of the religion uh which for them means uh the quran but certainly the the sunnah this uh body of hadith literature of sayings and uh, stories of of the prophet Muhammad, and then also the uh, sort of uh, standards that uh, the early community uh, directly following and uh, contemporary with the prophet Muhammad uh, sort of practiced. Uh, and uh, it, you already see that uh, this this perspective is is sort of a. Uh, becoming a bit more moderate. Uh, I mean, it historically has been sort of uh, uh, pretty readily identified with these kind of violent jihadist movements uh, in in various ways. And uh, uh, nowadays, uh, a lot of sort of political quietism uh, in in this uh, in this group. And uh, certainly Saudi Arabia is kind of the hotbed of uh, of this perspective, even as it's very, very global at this point. And uh, Saudi Arabia is kind of, uh, uh, as a government, uh, trying to moderate a, a bit uh, a bit more and become a bit more uh, less extremist, a little more uh, sort of amenable to, to global uh, uh, sort of norms uh, for, for our era. So it's kind of encouraging in that regard. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I think... Uh, this movement didn't happen for sort of no reason. Uh, I think uh, because of some of the the complicated colonial dynamics where the sort of uh, British sort of artificially kind of propped up this perspective because it was uh, very advantageous uh, to help them kind of gain control in the Arab uh, Peninsula region. And then Saudi Arabia got all this oil money and uh, was able to uh, really fund the sort of global salafization uh, of of the Islamic world with a lot of that oil money. So it's it has a lot of historical contingencies to it. But at the same time, uh, sort of classical Islamic tradition was sort of very complex, very elitist in a sense, like uh, there's tons of schooling to be able to uh, sort of become a, a legal expert. And then uh, you had to sort of defer to these legal experts in your communities for various disputes. And uh, so it was, it was very complex. It, it wasn't uh, necessarily so uh, accessible to the average person. And so uh, this perspective comes along, says you have the Quran, you have the the Hadith, uh, uh, sort of knock yourself out kind of. It's it's uh, easy. It's a uh, it's uh, readily available, um, and so there is there is some sort of legitimate kind of populist uh, uh, sensibility to it that I think is is going to be necessary to to integrate uh, in, in whatever is uh, coming next here. Um, but uh, ideally, uh, shedding these kinds of literalist and puritanical impulses that kind of came along with that. Gotcha. You know, um, Jordan Peterson once described Muhammad as a warlord. And I think he's sort of backpedaled on that. Mm -hmm. But what the hell is he talking about? Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a hot button question uh, for sure. Uh, and it has a lot of history to it, a lot of Orientalist and uh, kind of Christian uh, exceptionalist kind of stuff. Uh, I think the the warlord language is is very politicized in in a certain way. Uh, but it's definitely true that uh, Muhammad as a prophetic figure was engaged in sort of military uh, ventures and uh, was a political leader as well as being a, a sort of a spiritual teacher. Uh, for Muslims, uh, this is totally a positive um, because here you have a, a sort of a ideal that has worldly instantiation. So uh, the, the Muslim understanding of, of Jesus, for example, who's also a prophet and very highly revered within uh, the the religion is he was he was this sort of esoteric spiritual teacher he he came with all these sort of parables and lived this sort of incredible mystical life uh, and really pointed to uh, a spirituality that uh, that transcends the world in in many ways uh, but that gives very very little sort of direct um, uh examples of how to live uh we are worldly beings uh and uh it can be difficult to understand how to take this sort of christic example and instantiate it in in one's own life in in communities uh, are we all supposed to go out and and get martyred hmm not sure not sure about that so uh muhammad is this more kind of synthetic figure um he does do war he does do military stuff uh but uh, within the Orthodox perspective, he does it in the most sort of ethically upright and uh, uh, exemplary way that a human being could possibly do such things. Um, and so it it provides this this more concrete touchstone uh, for for the religious believers. And this is where the the Sharia comes from. Then it's a uh, it's like uh, the Quran. It's kind of a, a an aspirational document a, a bit. It has a lot of ideals and theological perspectives. It's a little light on sort of actual legal rulings. Um, and so then you take the the prophetic example of uh, of Muhammad, and from that material, you have sort, sort of the, the concrete instantiation of the Quranic uh, spirituality. Um, my own take is uh, this has been a bit sort of literalist in in uh, its historical instantiation. Uh, and so you have a lot of trying to directly emulate the kind of exact sorts of actions uh, from uh, Muhammad and this early community, rather than kind of understanding in a bit more of a kind of a like a teleolo teleological sort of way, like what were they trying to sort of achieve? Like what was the, the context here? And uh, like, what were they, they moving towards? Uh, so uh, reading it that way, I think you get a bit more of a, a kind of progressive sort of slant to it of like, okay, we're we're trying to pursue greater and greater justice. This is how that was available in this uh, Arabian context in, in the uh, 600s. And uh, we will probably be doing it differently today, but we can kind of take this as a, as a sort of aspirational touchstone for that. Hmm. I see. So eventually they'll have to take on kind of a stage model. 
Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a, a good bit of potential there. And uh, this, is, this is also somewhere I think that uh, the process, theological and philosophical perspectives could contribute uh, something to to Islamic thinking. Um, and there's there's a number of contemporary scholars trying to kind of realize that in, in different ways. So. So say more about that, like how? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, where process thinking in Islam really goes back to is this guy, uh, Muhammad Iqbal, who is this uh, very interesting character. He was uh, South Asian. Uh, we, nowadays, we call him Pakistani. Um, but uh, this was at a time before uh, Pakistan and India were, were separate nations. Um, and he he was uh, interesting in that he was sort of Western educated to a certain extent, uh, but also deeply engaged in the sort of traditional Islamic uh, uh, forms of of learning. Uh, he was, I, I don't believe he was classically trained uh, in any of the Islamic sciences, but he, he was nonetheless uh, really uh, sort of engaged in, in some of these uh, discourses. And uh, he's drawing on Whitehead and uh, Henri Bergson, uh, and uh, bringing some of their thought into conversation with kind of the the whole gamut of uh, Islamic intellectual history. Um, he was also a poet, uh, sort of a classical classical uh, Muslim poet, uh, one of the one of the last. I think they they often say. I think he wrote in uh, either Urdu or Farsi. Uh, I think probably both. Um, and uh, he was also this. Uh, this sort of statesman, he is kind of credited as one of the founders of Pakistan. Uh, so it's kind of like uh, if you threw like Nietzsche and Whitehead and Thomas Jefferson and uh, uh, Wordsworth uh, and uh, some like Thomas Merton all all into a hat and kind of mixed them around. But uh, anyway, he's got this big book, uh, the the reconstruction of of religious thought in Islam, where. He really kind of goes on a tour de force of trying to uh, give a, a bit more of a updated perspective on mm, the, the Islamic religion as a whole, uh, and uh, always always keeping the Quran as a, a very sort of close touchstone. Uh, going through that, um, so a lot of contemporary uh, Islamic process thinking is is going back to to Iqbal uh, and uh, trying to. Uh, further some of his his perspectives and and his project um but then there's also uh, a bit more kind of independent uh, islamic process thinking going on uh especially within the sphere of progressive islam um and also i mean some of my own work is doing doing some of this uh more in the context of these uh, sufi neoplatonic kinds of metaphysics and trying to to kind of take that as a bit of a, a springboard. Um, and then there's there's a couple other projects here and there going on in kind of a little bit more niche uh, segments of uh, uh, sort of Islamic intellectual history. Um, but uh, yeah, there's some interesting uh, interesting possibilities there for uh, further developing these, these postmodern or post-postmodern kinds of perspectives within the tradition. I see. So what do you, what do you see um at what do you see process 
philosophy or the process thinking as adding to it specifically mm -hmm. yeah i think uh I think getting to uh, a more constructive or evolutionary view of religion in in general is probably like the most significant uh, big picture change that uh, I could see happening with an engagement uh, with process thought. Uh, I mean, right now there's there's still very much whether it's kind of a this more Salafi puritanical kind of perspective or or just a, a classical uh, Muslim perspective. I mean, there's very much a kind of reverence of of the past, uh, whether, whether it's sort of tradition or these uh, allegedly like pure sort of approaches to the original sources of, of scripture and and such. Um, but I, I just don't think that that is sort of a Mm, uh, an effective or realistic kind of uh, methodology. Ultimately, I, I don't think that uh, the the impact or the the meaning of 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 these things is uh, always going to be sort of reproduced if you just kind of reproduce the the same form. Uh, so, I mean, uh, you look at the, the Quran, the Hadith, the classical tradition, you got slavery. Uh, you have a number of important sort of ethical constraints about what you can do uh, in the sort of master-slave relationship. Um, but mm, I think we just don't want slavery. Uh, I think uh, we are at a point where that is certainly no longer a, uh, an institution we we would like in, in human life. And uh I think we have alternatives that can sort of achieve uh, what slavery achieved in, in classical periods. Um, and so instead of uh, saying, well, we got slavery in, <laughs> in this classical tradition and these sacred sources, so we're keeping it around, uh, we can look at, uh, look at sort of the, the aims of, the, of these traditions and of these uh, sort of scriptural uh, sources and see see what they're trying to sort of uh, move humanity towards and how that's instantiated in in different eras in different contexts is going to look different. Uh, so it forces you to to think a bit more uh, contextualist uh, and uh, it, it, I mean it's it's intellectually a more difficult task if you just have to sort of reproduce these these conditions uh, that uh, you can identify in in a tradition, it's very easy, you know, you just, oh, just do this. It's, uh, it's very mechanical uh, in a sense, um, but uh, getting, getting beyond that and having this more sort of, okay, we got to really rethink uh, for all these issues, uh, the, the kind of foundational, like uh, the point of it, you know, uh, what's the, What's the what are we trying to achieve here? Um, and uh, I mean, beyond that, there are there are certain theologies in sort of traditional Islamic uh, context that uh, very much promote a kind of theological thinking where uh, very much kind of div divine command theory. It's like, well, these are the laws. They're written clearly. Uh, this is exactly what's meant to happen. If you don't think that seems good, well, God is just this source of all goodness. So that's like on you. Um, and uh, because this law is from God, that makes it good. Uh, it's not uh, It's not about the impact. It's not about the sort of uh, uh, effect of, of what this uh, 
instantiating this sort of legal ruling does, uh, that that's irrelevant uh, to to this kind of theology, since uh, uh, it's all all good comes from God. So uh, it's not uh, not how you judge things, uh, and uh, so it's sort of a, a human fault to to see things from that perspective. But uh, so I mean, process is is helpful there too, and sort of uh, providing a different kind of theological framework that that wouldn't uh, wouldn't have God uh, be sort of uh, morally uh, incomprehensible. Uh, the process theological perspective is going to have sort of the goodness of God uh, as uh, as being like sort of the tantamount thing. Um, and it's going to be sort of a comprehensible. Uh, goodness uh and uh even if that sort of impinges on sort of traditional notions of omnipotence uh that that's going to be kind of what uh what is preserved is uh this idea of of some kind of divine goodness or compassion and i think that fits well frankly uh with the the basic sources of uh islamic uh theological thinking you have every single verse of uh the quran start with this uh this uh, proclamation uh, in the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful. I think by starting every single thing that uh, allegedly comes from God with that framing, I think it's kind of kind of trying to tune you in to, to that as sort of the most uh, foundational sort of aspect that can be identified here. Um, so I think there's sort of ways within the tradition you can kind of get around uh, some of this stuff, but it's, it's certainly complicated. It's certainly complicated. It is complicated. So I think we've been going for a couple hours here. Yeah, it's been a bit. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I found this all very fascinating. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. Yeah, for sure. Always fun stuff to to dig into some of these issues and uh i was happy to hear a bit more about the the diamond approach that's uh mostly material i haven't explored yet so uh, good to good to learn yeah man check it out i think you'll like it